I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. I'm joined today by one of the good guys of Irish boxing, a man who for years has been given fighters a chance of having an untarnished career in the professional arena. He was a professional boxer himself, winning 13 contests out of 16 between 1994 and 1999, before taking his place in the corner, having learned his trade under Goody Petronelli and Freddie Roach. He's the head of the Celtic Warriors gym in Dublin, a city that's still crying out for a hero to emerge and lead Irish boxing back into the light. His brother Steve was a two-weight world champion, and what we give today to have another hero filling arenas once again. In recent weeks, he'd led his fighters into huge battles in the UK, but after falling short in those contests, the wait continues for his first world champion. It's uh, Pascal Collins. My first question is, right, your brother Steve's written a book. Roddy's writing a book. When are you doing the same? Um, you know, I've no interest in writing a book. I, I my, my brother Steve wrote a book because he was two-time world champion, and uh, you know, a, a friend of ours, Paul Howard, who's been around for a long, long time. I mean, Paul started with the, the Tribune uh, as a sports reporter when they literally had no budget to send him anywhere. So Paul came along to all the fights on his own, his, his own money and used to stay with us. So he became a good friend of ours, close friend of ours. And uh, he decided, to, you know, to Steve, you know, you should do, you should put this down on paper. And Steve did it. And uh, it was good. It was, it's nice to look back on some old pictures and, and read some stories and stuff, accounts of stuff that happened. Um, Roddy is a different scenario. Roddy has got a large and life personality. He's got so many stories to tell, but it's not about Roddy, the, the football manager, or Roddy, the football. It's basically Roddy growing up in Cabra, um, you know, being playing at a high level of football, being a football manager is a small part, you know, being a brother of a two-time world champion. So that's a kind of a different type of story. Um, do I write a book? If I write a book, you know, do I want, do I want a biography? No, because I'm like, I kind of like to keep my private life private. And as far as telling stories and, uh, you know, talk about the history of Harbour, Roddy's going to kind of have to cover too. So, you know, who knows? If someone came along offered me loads of money, I'd say, yeah, sure. But other than that, I'd like to keep my life private. Keep my yeah, head absolutely. down. And I suppose you'd have no shortage of things to talk about. You know, you had your, you had your, uh, you started off alongside Steve. You had your own professional career. You've moved into training. You've been around the world 10 times, I'm sure. Yeah, it's funny because when you mentioned uh, 14 wins as a professional, I actually had more. I had 16 wins as a professional. Um, a couple of fights I had when I was out in Massachusetts years back before BoxRec was even around. We fought in a couple of shows which were known as smokers. And I never knew this. Uh, it was over the border in New Hampshire that these smokers were actually... They, they weren't governed. Although they were professionally governed, they weren't really governed. They were smokers, so... You could probably call it unlicensed fighting nowadays, but we didn't even realize we were doing this. It was a couple of hundred dollars for a fight, you know. And so, you know, it, it, it's funny little things like that I heard from years back. And and I, I done a I done a TV show the night of the night before Conlon, 
and um, Lee Woods fought in, in the UK. We've done a kind of behind the scenes with the trainers and it's only when you get thinking and talking and the stories coming out of your mouth, you realise, Jesus, you know, I was there and I done this and I done that. And it's when you sit back and listen to it, you realise, so that I've done so much. I, I've, I've done so many things in my life so far. I've got so many more things I want to do. But I believe I, I believe in, in letting things happen, you know, making things part of your journey, you know, being around good people, do, always doing the right thing. You know, I always say to people, you know, fighters especially, they ask me a question, what do you think of I should do? And I always say, go with your own gut feeling because your gut feeling is never wrong. And I've always done that. And it's put me in some great uh, scenarios and situations. And, and I've been around some great people. And I plan on doing it for a long, long time. Did you ever go against your gut and come to regret it? I, I I went against my gut. Um, I went against my gut once, twice, twice, once. Um, I went against my gut once on a small scale, not not large, small scale. But I I I knew I was going against my gut, but I did it for the right reasons. It was just the situation I was in. I knew that I'd have to take the fall for the right reasons, and it wasn't nothing serious. It was something small. It was, you know, but. Yeah, I have, I have, but you know, it, it it didn't change anything in my life. It wasn't catastrophic, and it was it was uh, it was as I say for the right reasons. So no, it, it's life is simple. Do the right thing. Treat everybody fair, no matter who they are. Judge nobody, absolutely nobody. Judge nobody because you know whatever they decide to do with their lives, that's their choice, and they will pay the price for it. But judge nobody. Do the right thing. Treat everybody fair, and uh, you know you can't go wrong. Mm. Packy, with regards to uh, the, the the training, uh, training the fighters at the minute, one of your biggest jobs at the minute will be kind of picking lads up from defeat, because in recent weeks you've got Ray Moyle going to England and losing out to Dalton Smith, and before that Eric Donovan going to Scotland and losing out to Robert C. Ramirez. From talking to them, it seems like you did give them the opportunity to take the decision themselves, gave your own feedback, obviously, as you're employed to do. But what was your gut instinct when these lads were offered opportunities against high caliber, high caliber fighters at different levels of their different levels of their own careers? Eric and, and uh, Ray, but also Ramirez and Dolph Smith. But what did you feel about the opportunities when they came up? Well, under the circumstances, because of COVID and because, you know, for two and a half years, these fighters have been doing very little. You know, they've been getting on with their own lives, personal lives, but they want to fight. And nothing, you know, in Ireland, there's no boxing in Ireland for the last couple of years. And as far as opportunities elsewhere, America, fighters couldn't get into America. There was no, unless you're taking part in a huge event, there's no visas being handed out. So our bread and butter was was mainly in America with Murphy Boxing, Golden Boy, other promoters out there. So as far as UK is concerned, you know, going to the UK, you're always going to be the B-side unless you're signing with, you know, Matchroom. Frank Warren, these bigger promoters. So going over there, there was the B-side. Um, it, it's weird because Eric Donovan, Eric Donovan to me is, is, is you know, is, oh my God, he's class. He's a class person and a class fighter and a class athlete. Um, however, you know, he hasn't been getting, he, he hasn't been having much activity in the last year or two. Um, he's getting that little bit older. You know, I, I still don't see that as a, as a downside, but doesn't help and then all of a sudden you know an opportunity comes but it's against probably one of the best amateurs on the planet um, and I think he's going to prove that too he's, he's just unbelievable but you know Eric wanted this fight I, I don't manage Eric so I had no say over who he was fighting um, but he wanted this fight I had a conversation before we even started camp and I said listen Eric 
this is a huge, huge, huge fight for you. It's going to be a very hard fight to win. It's all uphill. You're away from home. You know, you're fighting a two-time Olympic gold medalist. He's active. You are not. Um, he's a puncher, you know. So, you know, what do you think? Are you taking this for the money? Because the money wasn't great. But are you taking this because you believe you can win? So I actually believe I can win. So once you hear that, I say, okay, I'm going to give you every opportunity to win. Um, I did that with Eric. Um, he got caught with it. Uh, you know, it's funny because in the camp, in training camp, literally Eric just kept moving one way in the ring. Every day kept moving to his left away from Ramirez's left hand because that was his big shot, big left hand over the top. So for eight weeks of training camp, just move away from that left hand. We figure out as the fight goes on, move away from that left hand. In the third round, Eric moved on to his left hand. He got caught a shot on the neck, not on the head, on the neck, and it spun him. And the ferocity of the shot spun him that he was actually dizzy. He couldn't even stand up straight and the referee made the right call in stopping the fight. You know, so it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, it was nothing... Uh, what would I say it, it was nothing that Eric could do about it but he did move on to the left hand and he said it he said I moved the wrong way however Ramirez was such a clever fighter that he purposely moved him on the left hand he kind of he, he heard him like a sheep you know into the corner away from his right hand so he walked onto that big shot so you know Eric's going to fight again in May he wants to get that win and he wants to maybe fight for a Euro title and who knows he might call it a day or not but you know, he's bravely taking on such a fight. And, and Ramirez showed so much respect after the fight because he told Eric that all the big guys around UK, Europe, were offered a fight and they all turned it down. So you got to, you know, give your kudos to Eric for what he did. Um, as far as Ray Mollet is concerned, I've been speaking back and forth with Ray. He's just had a second kid uh, two weeks ago, second baby boy. Um, he's, he had another kid during lockdown. He was on the scales in Boston. Uh, ready to fight two years ago when the COVID kicked in. So he had so much disappointing, disappointment. Um, however, you know, we, we've got some fighters, some fights abroad. Basically, you're paying for it yourself. You're paying your own uh, horses, flights, hotels, and your opponent's horses too. Um, Ray was, was in a position to do anything about that. He, he couldn't afford it because he's now a family took after. He's, he's building his own house. So when the fight came on with Dalton Smith, it was offered to us. I said, listen, here's a fight. I said, it's hard. You know, he's a good fighter. He's, uh, you're going away from home, but it's an opportunity. Have a look at it. Make a decision. He came back to me two days later, spoke with his old uh, amateur coach, Martin Brennan, um, who he trusts and I trust. And he had a conversation. He says, you know what? I actually, I actually feel I can't beat this guy. I don't know. I've been out too long, but I feel I can, I can beat him. If I don't, fair enough, but I want to try. And, you know, same with Ray Mallet too. He came up to the, you know, what I what I realised after the fight with Ray Mallet, Kevin, was that coming away from, you know, doing 10 rounds, being in 10 good rounds, were an elite athlete like uh, Dalton Smith, really good fighter, who's beaten some good fighters. He's been kept busy. Ray Mallet, Went 10 rounds. He got dropped twice. And I, I pulled him out because he didn't need to go anymore. He wasn't going to win the fight. And he could have got badly hurt. And it, or the fight could have been class knockout. So it was time to pull him out there. Um, but what I realized was coming away from the UK is that these fighters, these fighters are elite athletes. They're not better fighters. They're not better fighters than us. They're not better fighters than us. They're actually, they're actually elite athletes. And basically what they're doing is... <coughs> You know, it's the athleticism that wins these fights because Ray stood in there, didn't get beat up. He got caught with shots. 
he landed some shots, but his timing was so off that when he was trying to counter Dalton Smith's accuracy and speed, just, you know, counter him. So th- these are opportunities, you know, Ray got hit in round seven, low blow, a bad low blow. He went down, he was in pain, he grimaced the referee, said it to him, and I could hear the referee saying, if you cannot go on, if you're too badly hurt, I will stop the fight now. I will, uh, I will, I will, I will award you the, the belt. You'll be the champion. I'll award you the belt. I'll disqualify Smith uh, 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 Dalton Smith. And Ray's words were, "No, I don't want to win that way. Give me time. I'll recover." And Ray got up. And he fought on. And after the fight, Eddie came back and he seen it on the zone on the on, online that he said, "You know what, Packy." I want to do something with him. I'm going to give him more fights. So, you know, we've kind of got a verbal agreement that Ed's going to give him a few fights now and go and match him. So, you know, these were two fights that they were astronomical. You know, are we going to win? Probably not. And the reason being is because we haven't been in the ring in so long or because they're fighting a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Um, so, you know, here we are now. Here we are now, yeah. You're saying um, they're, they're up against um, phenomenal athletes, elite athletes, as the trainer, how do you get your fighters to that level? Well, the reason why I say elite athletes, right? So Ray Millet came to me seven weeks before, you know, this fight was offered to us eight weeks, seven weeks, it was seven weeks notice. He goes, yeah, I can take that fight. But as I said, Ray hasn't been active. He hasn't been making money. He's got himself a job. So literally Ray says, but here's how it's going to work. I can come to Dublin three days a week, but I have to stay home three days a week because I have to work. So Ray, so Ray was doing his job. Ray was doing his job. He was walking um, three days a week. So he wasn't training properly them three days a week. He wasn't up in Dublin with me coaching three days a week. And um, when he was getting to Dublin, he was driving up on a probably a Wednesday. After a long drive, he was trying to spar, which he was, but he was tired. We got sessions in Thursday, Friday to the gym, then drive home again. So really, Ray, Ray was a part-time boxer for that fight with Dalton Smith. And he, and he really did really well. You know, considering everything gone, 10 rounds, been out of ring for two years, you know. So literally, literally, he, uh, you know, so I sat down with Ray after the fight. I said, so here's the deal now, Ray. I said, you've proven your worth. You know, you've proven to people that you're a good fighter, but you were let down as far as your your fitness and your activity. You haven't been active. But Eddie said he's going to give us more fights. Maybe we get ourselves a six-rounder or an eight-rounder to get, you know, get the cobwebs off. But the next time you go into a championship fight, Ray, you've got to be living here in Dublin from Monday to Friday for at least eight weeks as, and become an elite athlete. If you don't, forget about it. You're never going to, you know, you're a better fighter and you're, you're being, you know, you've been training hard, but you don't have that athleticism that most fighters have. And in order to get that, you've got to live, move away from home. So he gets it. So, you know, considering he was a part-time trainer, for a fight so big and such a good fighter, he actually proved that he can do something when, when he's here. And it's frustrating for me because I know this. I know these guys are really good fighters. And I know that, you know, if we, if we had that extra, you know, 20% of being living here in Dublin and having the help that a lot of all these other fighters have, well, then, you know, maybe we can get that, that world champion that I'm looking for. And it, it's frustrating, but we'll keep going. We'll keep moving forward. 
Um, I dare say no trainer ever regrets throwing in a towel. The only one they regret is not throwing in a towel, I'm sure. But it it, it still takes a lot to to watch your fighter take um to watch a fight become one side. Watch your fighter potentially get hurt and decide to throw in the towel. It's not the first time you've done it. You've protected your fighter in the past, but it does create obviously a bit of tension. The, the fighter is full of adrenaline. He's not happy. You've got to explain your decision. How does how does it go? Well, I've thrown a towel on a couple of occasions, right? Ray Millet was on the ground twice in the 10th round, you know, in a fight that he was losing. So I think I think 99% of coaches would have done that. And the 1% that don't do it shouldn't be coaching fighters. They, they wouldn't have a clue. So there was no need to leave Ray in there any longer. Um, you know, Spike against Eubank, Spike was, he was getting beat. He could have been beat up, but I decided to get him out before that even happened or before he got injured. And he went on then to fight three former world champions after and, and make a whole load of money. So I made the right call there too. Um, you know, the, 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 the weird thing is, right, most of my fighters, the fights, the fights that I'm getting now, most of my fighters, the fights that I'm getting now, um, like Padre Hyland, the first fight I had with Padre Hyland, you know, after... Padre was trained by his dad and when his dad, Paddy, my old mate, when he died, Padre came to me and said, I'm getting a fight with your training. I said, sure, what is he? He says, world title. I goes, wow, first way to get a world, world title. Who is it? And he said, Gary Russell Jr. I was like, really? Like, what are you doing to me? You know, what are you doing to me? Because Gary Russell Jr. is, is in my eyes, is, is, is as good as Lemonchenko and all these fighters. So your first fight with me is going to be Gary Russell Jr. Jesus Christ. But anyway, we trained for it and I give him a, I, I done everything I could to put him in the best position and he got beat. Didn't throw the towel in. Um, but what you got to realize is you, you don't throw the towel in, 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 you know, in fights where your fight is in a tough fight. Everyone's in tough fights. You want to be in tough fights. It's what kind of, uh, sh- shows what you're made of. But when you're in world championship fights, really big world championship fights, and they're in against, you're really in against, and you're getting hurt, and you know, you know, you're getting hurt, and you're never going to do, nothing's going to change. You got to make that call, and and I've seen it so many times. I've been around it so many times that if a fighter, if a fighter has reasons why he's not performing, literally because he hasn't been in the gym properly, he hasn't been training properly, or outside. Uh, reasons I know that so I go you know what I'm going to pull him out and when he has the right uh, times you know the money's behind for the camps uh, life at home is good he'll come back and he'll be better then and I know these things so a lot of people don't realise that you know you're you know you're fighting yourself and what's going on outside and a lot of times going into fights the stuff going on on the outside too you got to take into account and you know so, some of the fighters uh, took um, I probably didn't want to take them because I knew there was stuff going on outside the ring or there was injuries being carried. So I knew all this. And when you when you pull a fighter out, you just do it because you know in the background, well, he's been carrying an injury. We still took the fight to see how he does. We know that he's not going to go anywhere. He could get hurt because he's been carrying an injury. And it, well, let's pull him out. Fighters get upset by that. Like, oh, what are you pulling me out for? But really deep down in the back of their minds, they know for a fact that I'm going to do it because I'm going to protect them. And I left fighters going to wars. You know, Frank Bullioni was a different type of fighter. He came to me. He was one of the toughest men I ever came across in my life. But he got hit too much. But he 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 fixed that. His defense was good. And if Frank was in a fight, it was always looking like a tough fight. He was always blooded because he got hit too much. But he was never really hurt. And and you'd leave the likes of. Frank in there and, and certain for Steve Ormond too. You'd never dream of pulling Steve Ormond out because he would, you know, he'd go through a wall to win. You know, so it's it's different for us. You know, and you have fighters who are, 
you know, you're thinking, well, they're probably good enough to win an Irish title or maybe fight for an international or fight for an EU title. And then you ask yourself, well, so really what's at the end of, of their journey for them? Can they make it? No. So there's no point letting them get beat up or hurt anyway because mm. it's really never down the road. So, you know, different fires, different, different, different decisions you make. What's the mood like in the camp? Because two of the, I suppose, the leaders of the of the gym have, you know, take, taken those defeats with Donovan and uh, Moylet. But then again, you Thomas Carty uh, picked up a win on the Condon Woods card as well. The buzz is going, Eric's back. Eric's back trying. Yeah, see, yeah. Ray Moylet called me. He says, I'm back. I'm still training. Get me a fight. I was like, okay. He's not used to spending for a month for starters because you got to stop. And then, you, you know, you feel it marks and bruises. But, you know, I am working on stuff for Ray. Um, no, the, the the buzz in the gym is the best it's ever been because we've come out the other side of COVID and I'm getting calls now about fights, lots of fights. You wouldn't believe we're, we're turning down fights at the moment and they're not fights that we have to go pay for and, and, and waste our money paying journeyman that's going to drive up, fall over. You get a double on your record, but literally it's done nothing to you. You know, you'd be better off paying a sparring partner, a top-level sparring partner to come to the gym and spar. You'd learn more from it. So I don't need to go down that route of 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 just going away, you get four or five wins, make your fire on paper look good when they're not good. Mm. And that's the problem with a lot of fighters. You know, unfortunately for you know, speaking of that, as we, we were getting Tinga fight in in Cork, uh Reese Moran. It's, you know, would have been his first fight back after his loss. He's been in the gym training, he's been doing really well, he's in a good place, got himself a job. Um so we were looking forward to traveling to Cork and get him his his win. Um, unfortunately reasons unknown or well, I've been told but I won't speak about it, um, that that show had to be cancelled yeah, it's been made it's been made public uh, young Tommy Hyde failed the brain scan uh, was denied his debut but from the reports emanating from the camp it's not anything that's going to trouble him making his debut at a later date and initially that was the fear career over but I, I think that's not the case so he's, he's going to get an opportunity to keep going because he's a lovely kid he's not yeah. so lovely kid he is and I'll tell you what he's a he's a serious Hard training athlete, gentleman. He's one of the good, good lads. I'd like to see him do really well. well how do you think I felt? I'd recorded a podcast with him and written a thousand words about it, and then I got got the call. Oh, the fight's off. You failed the brain scan. All right, yeah. Oh, oh, uh, no, I felt I felt for the family when I heard it, and it sounded like a uh, devastating. He's been in America for six weeks training camp for this fight, yeah. and, and his whole career building towards this pro day. You know, it's amazing, right? You can fight for ten world titles and have fifty. You know, 100 fights and whatever, but you can only have one debut and you wouldn't believe the pressure for that debut. So to have that one debut, which is all we can only have as a professional fighter, it means so much. And I'm sure it means so much to him. I remember Spike telling me, you know, when I first got, when I first got in touch, Spike got in touch with me way back 2007 when I was living in America. And it was actually through Gary Hyde. He contacted Gary Hyde once a time. Gary got my number to talk to Parky. So, it's funny, when, when Spike Force came to me in 2007, he was only planning to have one fight. Just wanted to have one professional fight, see what it's like. Check it out, you know, see what it's like. He told me this. He was just planning on having one fight. And then about two months later, I said, Roy, do you want to go fight in America? He was like, you want me to go fight in America? I said, yeah. Really? I said, yeah. So his, his second big thing was not just to have one fight, but to go fight in America. So it's two. So literally his career was going to be two fights. Look at him now. He's fought four world champions. And in the next two weeks, there's going to be a huge announcement made for Spike's next fight. Next two, three weeks. Well, that's what huge. I was going to ask. Do you think there's, does Spike still have a big kick left in him? <sighs> Come in and tell you something, right? As I say, Spike, on, Spike, 
Well, I pulled Spike out of the Eubank fight, so he wasn't worn, battle-worn from that fight, but I knew there was something wrong. I didn't know anything about poor stage runs, and I never knew he suffered poor stage runs, neither did he. So there was something wrong in that fight. When I, it's like saying to me, you go left and you go right. So when I told him to step out of the shots, he was stepping into the shots. Eubank was showing vicious uppercuts. So I say, Spike, try your combination, but step out, step out to the side. He was literally stepping in, so he's doing everything the opposite side, and he told me this because after the fight, his balance was so off that he he was just going left instead of right. I knew there was something wrong. I pulled him out. And I, I, I didn't want to find him on the night how serious it was. So I got him out there. So he has, he's never been in too many battles. Like the, the fight with Jamie Monkey was two years ago. And he got more punches beneath, beneath the belt than, you know, in, in his groin area, I think, than anything in that fight. Um, Billy Joe Saunders, he went 12 rounds. We'd never go hard to phase in that fight. The one fight that, that was kind of like a bit of a shock was David Lemieux. But remember, David Lemieux came in on the day 20 pound heavier than Spike. He was a, he was a, literally a cruiserweight compared to Spike being a middleweight on the day, you know, and it wasn't like a beat, it was just one shot. So is he battle one? No. Since COVID kicked in, he's got his force home. He's actually bought a house. Um, he's never been happier. He's never been in a better place and he's living the life. So we could, we could possibly see the best Spike now because Spike will tell you himself, you know, He's always been a little lazy, a little, you know, laid back because he's never really had anything to walk towards. But now he's got his family, he's got his home, he's got a, new, a whole new drive. And you wouldn't believe even talking to him. And he just keeps, every time it's haunted, he keeps putting me on his videos and he's there on a bike cycling, spinning a bike in the gym or he's out running. He's become like a, like an athlete. He's actually become like an athlete now. And considering where Spike has got, and he knows his own heart of hearts. He's never really gone to the well as far as training is concerned or even fights. He's never gone to the well as far as fights or training is concerned. He has a little bit easy going, laid, laid back attitude about him. But I know and he knows that if he, if he gave a one good hard shot, who knows? You know, yeah. two, week, two weeks ago, like a week ago, we had a, a, a veteran in the, in, in the horse race and amateur jockey who was retiring all of a sudden, it's a grand national. So, you know, it could be... Yeah, Whaley Cohen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What was I going to say? Packy, uh, so one of the up-and-comers in your gym is the 3-0 heavyweight, um, Thomas Carty. We've had him on the podcast before. He seems to be making some waves. Uh, what What's next for him? And, and how's uh, progress been going since he made the switch to the pro ranks? Yeah, it's been going really good. Th- Thomas has been training at my gym for four years, but I've never trained because he's had this amateur coach, Raj. Mm. working with him he's been doing a good job but I always looked and I'm always saying you know what if he was my fighter here's what I'd do here's what I'd do I'd know exactly what to do because I probably worked with one of the best southpaw coaches in the world in my eyes uh, in boxing Goody Petronelli I mean you had Marvis Marvin Hagler probably the best southpaw middleweight champ ever you know best middleweight champ ever and his brother Rockin' Robbie Sims who was also a southpaw who, who beat Roberto Ran uh, on the McGuigan Cruise on the cards tonight McGuigan got beat in Vegas. He beat Roberto Duran and, and Roberto Duran was supposed to win, beat Robbie Sims, then fight Marvin straight after. But just so happened Marvin's brother beat Duran. But the point I'm trying to make is, so I, I worked with the best southpaw coach in the game, uh, Goody Petronelli, and he used to show me moves, stuff that you can use against the southpaw. Although we coached southpaws, he also knew what worked against southpaws. So when I got Thomas, look at look at listen, look at Thomas Carthy's job now in his last fight. Compare that to Marvin Marvin Hagler's job. Look at Hagler's job too. He ex, you know he drives it's like a pile driver, pile driving job, clutch up, and it's always from the side. So 
it's something I've been working on that I've learned from Goody Petronetti, you know. And I said it to Thomas, I said, Thomas, you could be a marvelous Marvin Hagler heavyweight. There's no reason why you couldn't be. And I said, as a sailpaw, you'd actually walk through the division. You literally would. You hit so hard. It's all going to come with confidence. It's going to come with experience. You can't rush him too much. You know, him him fighting on the zone all the time is not always a good thing, as you've seen with Campbell Hatton. There's always pressure. And being on the zone, there's never an easy fight. Or there's never a, a fight that you can, you know, you're going to be, but you can try out a few moves or learn from. It's not, you know, his, his last two fights have been in tough fights against good fighters with good records. So, you know, the, the, the plan is with Thomas is to take our time with him. And when we're ready to step up, we'll step up. And when we're not, we won't. So it's 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 gonna it's gonna go on for years. I tell him this. He's right, Thomas. You know, don't get too carried away with yourself. Don't get too excited. You've got so much ahead of you. You've got so much potential. As as far as heavyweight division is concerned, you're only a baby. And he's going out. Actually, he's going to camp with uh, AJ for ten weeks. He's going to be right through the whole camp for the uh, Usyk fight also. So that's enough. So there's. Uh, uh, something we're working on getting them on the undercard also because Dylan, uh, Dylan's team and AJ's team also work there. Yeah. So does that? How, how do you feel when you kind of your your prize heavyweight goes off to work with AJ for a long time or Dillian White or you know Lawrence or Coley? Uh, he's been all over and no doubt those are difficult hard spars where he's getting hit and he's maybe sometimes he could be looking to his corner for where where's Pascal where's my trainer but that's not your role to necessarily be there alongside him. How do you feel when he goes off like that? Well, you know what? It, 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 it'll, he'll grow up. He'll grow up a little. He'll become a man. Because remember, so when you go to camps to spar AJ or Dillian White or Chazor or Coley, you're not being brought over there to be your best because, you know, you're being brought over there to do a job. So literally, Tom is going to be told what to do. This is how music fights. So here's what we want, how we want you to spar. So, you know, he's got to do what they pay him, what they pay him to do, not what he wants to do. Yeah. So really, it makes no difference whether I'm in his corner or not because... He's been told what to do by the other coaches and he's going to mimic music as, as best he can. So that's what happens, you know, in training camps. Now, it's not a good thing either uh, always going to training camps because then you can become that kind of uh, sparring partner mentality. And I've had this conversation with him too because I went away to a lot of training camps with my brother and other people and I kind of got into that sparring partner mentality um, which wasn't a good thing. So I said, listen, we will, uh, you know, go to your training camps but for the last couple of weeks you've got to be home I work with you or if, if if the fight's going to be in Dubai and they're staying out there or not Dubai in uh, Saudi Arabia which, mm. which I hope no I actually hope it's not I mean I hope it's in, I hope it's in uh, the UK I hope it's in Wembley I'd love to be you know I'd love, to, that, I'd love to be in the UK and Would that be for con- political reasons or maybe uh, distance reasons or how would you no, no no for the fact that they're fans I mean the fan base just can't be going to the UK or or Ireland or whatever. It's the fan base. I mean, you look at it on telly when they're fighting in Saudi Arabia and Jesus, you can hear a pin drop and people clap and there's no crowd. Or, no, for the for the reason, for the reason of the fan base and the atmosphere and playing Sweet Caroline and the crowd singing along. And, you know, I was at, I was at uh, Glasgow. Um, I was in Glasgow for Jack Cattrall's fight. Um, I was in, uh, I was in uh, Nottingham for, um, Colin, Colin Wood, yeah. I was in Leeds for uh, Kika Martinez and Josh Warrington, and I have to say, the atmosphere in them three nights was unbelievable, especially Leeds. I love going to Leeds, I've been there five times, and I've actually I'm nearly become the Leeds United supporter now because I just love that fan base, they're brilliant, they're great supporters. But for that reason, 
for that reason, the atmosphere, you know, and, and for AJ too, to, to have that kind of crowd there to kind of will him on because he's going to have to take the fight to Usyk. He's going to literally have to take the fight to him. And the way I see it, he's got to fight him like Joshua fought. He's got to fight him like Lee Wood fought Michael Conlon. Just pin him down, just keep banging and banging and banging and banging and hopefully land that big shot. You know, that's how he's got to fight it. But you need the crowds for that too. And the crowds were brilliant in Nottingham tonight. They were also brilliant for Michael Conlon too. It was kind of a 50-50 crowd. There was times it was a bit tense, you know. <laughs> but it, 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 was, it was amazing. And that's why I hope it's in uh, the UK for for the fans, for the fan base and for the atmosphere. And, and Regar- plus it's only an hour flight for me. Regardless of those main events, did you uh, did you see Catterall as a winner? I saw Catterall as a wide winner in that one. And did you see uh, the, the finish coming in Wood Conlon? I'm, I'm sure a few did, but did, did you see it coming? I tell you how I saw um, the Josh Taylor and Cattrall fight. Mm. Um, Forsley, Forsley, Josh, such a nice, nice young man. Oh my God, what a lovely guy. I believe he spent too much time. I think, I think coming home to fight in his home, but well, it wasn't his hometown, but his home country, I think put a lot of pressure on him. And not only did it put pressure on him, but the fight... Jack Hatchell, a good fighter like Jack Hatchell, who's also an Englishman. I think that was added pressure of a fight you got to win. But not only have you got to win, you got to perform really good. And I think that put pressure on him. I think he spent too much time around the hotel with, with people, you know, meeting people and greeting people. And, you know, because when the fight started in the fourth couple rounds, he actually, to me, he looked trained. Now, I'm sure that's to do with make a way too. He's such a big man. He looked trained. Um, he looked um, also like, you know, it took a bit out of him, the pressure, the build-up. Because I know for a fact it does that to you, being a former fighter and, and seeing my brother when he fought in Dublin too. It does put the expert pressure. Um, so did, did I want did I want Josh Taylor to lose on, on them grounds, not being the best Josh Taylor you can be and lose on them grounds? No. You don't want to see any world champion lose like that. Um, but but Jack had to fall. You know, I got a hand, I got to give my kudos to... Uh, Jamie Moore with his with his game plan. It was a great game plan because Josh just kept coming forward and Catcher was just leaning out to the side and throwing the shots over the top and and it was like everything around Josh was doing it. But the difference is Josh was doing it on you know zero. There was, there was nothing left in the tank. I'd say the last four or five rounds, but he kept coming and kept coming, and that was just pure guts and will to win for his fan base. Um, on the night, if I had to pick, I. Probably would have went with Tatchell in a very close fight. You know, you, it's hard to say because when you go to uh, when you go to when you go to away from home, because I've I, I've seen this in my Don't fighters, be saying but, you got to rip the belt now. Don't be saying that. No, but, but <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to say rip the belt. What I'm going to say is like you know what happened in Belfast with Stephen Ormond. Right. I, yeah. I remember going off to Fight Flanagan, whatever happened too, and we got no favours done by the referee on the night. None whatsoever. I'm not saying Terry Flanagan, you know, wasn't wasn't there, wasn't win the fight. He probably was. But I think we never got any favours on the night. We were away from home. Um we went to Belfast, we're away from home. We we you know, and, and it didn't go away. I've seen worse decisions happen. Forget it, like it's a it's a unification belt. Fair enough. I've seen worse decisions happen. So when Jack Cattrall in the close fight, it was a closer fight than people think. It was a closer fight. I think Cattrall uh, on, on neutral grounds, I think Cattrall might have got the decision. I do. On neutral grounds. However, was I shocked and surprised? No. No, I wasn't because I've been I've been the wrong side of these decisions for a long, long time. So, you know, and, and I kind of felt bad for Jamie Moore, Jack Cattrall. 
Um, I felt bad for the abuse that Josh Taylor got also because you got to realize Josh Taylor has, has actually avoided nobody. He's avoided nobody. He's in such a short career. He's fought everybody. Um, and he's beat everybody and he became unified champion. So, I think I think people were waiting in the long grass for Josh Taylor because he's a, he's a major COVID denier and he had incidents with a bouncer and stuff like that. And to see him, I thought he I thought he lost the fight maybe seven five or eight four or whatever. And then he obviously got knocked down and they, they each had a point docked as well. And so I, see, I think then to see him come out and say so clearly, oh I won the fight. I think there was just a lot of people turning up, but that doesn't excuse the abuse and threats that you know allegedly occurred. No, no, that's no. That's just social media bullshit, though, isn't it? We know, we know ourselves. Like, it didn't exist before. No, at the end of the day, let's call a spade a spade, right? In, 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 as a coach, as a boxing coach, and I've said it so many times before. You know, in an ideal world, the best man wins. We all have honest judges, we have honest referees, and they sit there and they watch a fight and they go, "You won the round, you lost the round, and you know you won the round, you know you lost the round." I mean, you know, deep down your heart, going back to the conda that these guys aren't going to be biased now. I didn't do enough to win that round. Even though I'm at home, even though the promoter is my promoter, I still didn't do enough to win that round. And that's in, in the idea of what's going to happen. But it doesn't. And I feel so bad for Jack Castle because he would have been a unified champ of the world. Um, he would have had so many big paydays ahead of him. He would have had probably a rematch clause whether Josh Taylor could make that weight again. Um, so, you know, in an ideal world, Jack Castle would have, would have won a close fight. I, I think he would have won a close fight. But... Not taken away from Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor, in my eyes, you know, was an absolute warrior on the night because he was absolutely drained. He wasn't at his natural, it wasn't his natural performance. It was literally just dig down deep and do what I can to win. What but about them? Um, what about from your vantage point of Wood Conlon then? You're obviously in the arena for Thomas Carty's fought on the undercard, picked up his third victory. You're there. What What do you see? What, what do your uh, memories give you? What did your eyes see? Okay, well, the forcing was shock. The first round knockdown, yeah, was shock because you know I, I don't know Michael that well. I've I've met around once or twice. You know, looking back on his career, you know, he did, he's not the biggest punch in the world on paper. But when he landed a left hand, the first round, and it, you know, people say, "Ah, oh, ten seconds later," we don't know that, you know. But what I will say is, I thought uh, Michael Connor was win the fight. Um, I thought he was boxing very well. When he when he was caught in the ropes, he, I don't think he was. He, I don't think he had the experience of being able to fight off the ropes. I think moving forward for him, he could go away, you know, and 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 you know, maybe spar fighters who are good at fighting off the ropes and learn from them because that was the little thing that let him down. Because you know, Lee Wood was trying to pin him down, and when he pinned him on the ropes, he he he, he hurt him in shot in, in in spells in the fight. I thought Conlon was very good on the night, but you know, the one thing I will take from that was where in God's name did Lee Wood get the energy from in round 12 to do that? Because literally, he, it was a non-stop fight. It was back and forth, back and forth. And he was losing the fight. Lee Wood was losing the fight. Um, if he hadn't won the last round on paper, he would have given it a draw. I think that would have been the wrong decision. Um, he was losing the fight. Um, but, Lee Wood seems like your kind of guy. He seems like a 15-round fighter. I think you're in favour of You'd like to see those days come back again. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd like to see those days come back for good fights, some fights yeah, are like, yeah, of course, yeah, get it on for it. For fights like that, yeah. And uh, come here, look at, look at, look at, look at Josh Taylor. Or oh, sorry, look at uh, Kika Martinez and Josh Warrington. The fight lasted four rounds, and look at the state of two of them. You know, they were in bits. The two of them were absolutely in bits. There was lumps out of them. Josh Taylor, you know, his head was a little bit questionable. Or Josh yeah. Warrington. 
not Josh, Josh Taylor, geez, no, Josh Wand, his head was questionable, but that was his game plan, head down, chin down, can't get caught with shots, because if he go lands, he hurts, and he proved in the last punch he landed against Warrington, he, he broke his jaw. But imagine, imagine Josh Warrington got his jaw broke and still went in for the kill, still went in to finish Kiko Martinez, who just broke his jaw and is still a big punch and he still went in. And that's that's what I love. I love them them blood and guts type fights, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose we all do, yeah, at this stage. Um, we'll, we'll just ask one more question. We're ready to go soon, Paggy, and thanks very much for joining us this week on the Rocky Road. So an upcoming fight is uh, Tyson Fury's WBC World Heavyweight title defense against Dillian White. Um, do you have much of a relationship with White, given he's uh, Thomas Carty's manager and you're his trainer, and there was a bit of a step aside move to allow Thomas Carty the opportunity to work closer with Dillian White? Do, do I have... He's in camp, right? So when, when Dylan White's not in camp, I need to find things out about Thomas Carty. I'll, I'll call or I'll contact uh, Magic, you know. that's a, He's one of his guys that works with him. Um, but Thomas has been out there and Thomas has been training with him and Thomas knows what's going on and and you know from all from all accounts what Thomas is saying that Dylan White is going to win he's coming to win it's not the case of he's turning up for the payday he's coming to win you know he is turning up by the way a lot of people are saying oh do you have a replacement that's bullshit he's turning up and he's coming to win now it's all down to the Tyson Fury that turns up on the night because if the Tyson Fury turns up the best Tyson Fury he wins I believe he wins I believe he can just you know he can just outbox him I watched I watched Tyson Fury fight Derek Cesare uh, on the on the Saunders thing on the card, Saunders Eubank on the card. Mm. And I all remember he came out and boxed Southpaw for the whole night. And he was so good at boxing Southpaw, that was the most boring fight I ever watched in my life. He just pummeled Derek Cesare. Derek Cesare just walked forward, lost every round, and Tyson Fury just pummeled him. And it was it was, it was like watching Rigandol, you know, and his in his prime. Rigandol was boring to watch because he was so good. And Tyson Fury was so good. Boxing as a southpaw, that, you know, will he do that again? Box as a southpaw? I think Dylan White has them angles covered. Obviously, that's why he's had uh, Thomas Cartier sparring, southpaw. So I, I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to this fight. As I said, it depends on the Tyson Fury. The, the best Dylan White turns up, best Tyson Fury turns up, I think Tyson Fury wins. I think Tyson Fury can, 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 can outbox him. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Who knows? That's the, the magic thing about boxing at that level. You just never know. And you've you've got experience of picking up a victory against the Tyson as well. I did, yeah, yeah. And how's Kevin McBride? Have you talked to him recently? Absolutely. I spoke to Kevin a week ago. He's he, believe it or not, Kevin was in Florida last week. Is uh, Kevin has a son who's actually uh, swimming in the nationals in 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 America for the US team for the US uh, national team. Wow. He's actually in, in, he's in the. He's swimming the nationals. He's got he's got a son who's a really good swimmer, and his daughter Gran, I think, is a really good swimmer too. But his son is like a very very elite level, like high performance type level. Right. Thanks, Kevin, away from boxing. Kevin's a good place. Uh, we were due to go to Florida in May for a, it's a, it's a fundraiser um, with Michael Watson, uh, my brother Steve, um, a couple of former world champions from the UK to raise money. But I've got something else lined up that you'll, you'll probably read about in a week or two. Um, that's going to happen from one of my fighters so I couldn't go but Kevin was supposed to go also but he can't go now because his his child has now got through to the next round of Nationals so uh, no Kevin's a good place Kevin, Kevin's a great guy and I'll see Kevin in Boston I hope you're putting on the pressure to on Kevin to get the son to declare for Ireland ahead of the next Olympics well you do, know what do the right thing well it's you know there's the idea now that you probably never think of if he doesn't make the 
if he doesn't make the US team, he can always go for the uh, Irish team. You know, and and I tell you one thing about Kevin. Kevin's Kevin's very patriotic. He's a very patriotic uh, person. He loved Ireland, loves Ireland, loved Ireland, and would always represent Ireland. So, you know, that, that, that's actually a good talk. I can't think of him without a, without a tricolor above his head. To be fair, yeah. that's the yeah. image. Yeah, or maybe yeah, when you're up on his back, maybe maybe that's an, that's another one. Yeah, well, I couldn't do that with the sun because I'd probably drown him if he's in the water. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And um, that's a great idea. And we might we might have another Kevin McBride, Kevin McBride, um, Olympic swimmer for Ireland. Yeah, thirty years on since the star represented Ireland at the Olympics in nineteen ninety two. Games, yeah. Um, on, an, on another note, I don't know if we can throw this in now, but I want to offer my condolences to the Delaney family. My old coach from Fizz Boxing Club, Paddy Delaney, passed away. That's right. I saw that there. I saw that there a couple of days. Yeah, Paddy, Paddy was my old coach from Fizz Boxing Club, and uh, he's been under the weather for the last year or two. But I'd like to offer my condolences to his family and, and his friends. Oh, well, sorry, sorry to hear that. And offer the condolences from all of us here at the Rocky Road as well. What was Paddy like as a guy? What was he like as a trainer? It was great. Paddy, Paddy was like a Dell boy, you know. He was always, he was a great trainer, and he was very dedicated to the gym. He was always there, open and closed and all that. But he was, he was like a Dell boy too, you know. But he was an honest character. He was a character, and everyone, everyone that knew him loved him. And I, I always remember my brother Steve said to him, "Are you sure you were a boxer, Paddy?" You know, and he go, "Watch him. He looks. He's even a big nose and it's, and it's straight." He said, "It's very straight." But I think Paddy won a few. I think Paddy won a few senior titles, wherever you know, but he didn't look like a boxer. He was, he had a, he had a big nose, not a big nose, but it was straight. It, it was never looked like it was broken around, you know. And but I believe he's, I believe he's a very good amateur boxer. But uh, but he's, he's, you know, he was a character. Most, most, there's a lot, of, a lot of good people around amateur boxing who are really good characters, you know. And he, and he never really got a look in Paddy as far as, you know, getting work as far as at the international level or anything, but. You know, anyone that knew him loved him. Yeah, I think a lot of these people need, uh, you know, unfortunately Paddy's passed now, but there's a lot of them still, there's a lot of them still about and a lot of these people still need bigging up as well because boxing is always in danger of being taken over by people who have real, no no real desire to affect the game positively in a, in a good way. And it's, it's, the sport is half ruined in Ireland at the minute, isn't it? Like we all know it. But... Uh, <laughs> It's like everything. It's like everything. It's once once there's a few bobs involved and people see, you know, there's a few bobs involved that there's there's something in it for me. But then I, then then it's not about boxing anymore. It becomes about that that person. And and but but come here. That's right through life and that's right through all sports. You know, as I say, there's there's good people out there who do who give up their time for free for the love of a sport and want to see that sport succeed. And then there's the other people who. You know, see an opportunity where they can pretend to love a sport, but really it's in it, they're in it for financial gains. And and that's the way the amateur boxing, I think, has become in Ireland. And I think it happened with the football too. Um, and I think it's always going to be like that. You know, you'll have your waves, you'll have good people involved, and then you have the, 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 the chances, and then you have the good people again. So it's just, it's, it's life. You know yourself, Kevin. I, I never, I never get involved in anything. I don't get, I, I don't get my opinions. I just, Grab my little gym, my little fighters, and do the best for me and my fighters, and that's it. And everything else after that, I couldn't really give a damn about. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, absolutely. That's the best way. Focus on your focus on your family there first, and your family is the gym. So, Pascal Collins, it's been it's been good crack to have you on the Rocky Road this week. Thanks for clearing everything up, giving us the future uh, for your for your band of fighters review and what's gone on the last few weeks. And look, I hope we speak to you a couple of weeks or months down the line again. 
Well, there'll be big news in a couple of weeks' time, and I'll give you my first interview, Kev, all right? Nice. Thanks, Pascal.